0: I am so excited because this is marking the end of Earth month because now it's just a full month and not a day to celebrate the planet Uh, because that gives us, what, like 31 days to embrace capitalism and allow people the opportunity to buy themselves out of problematic consumption and pollution, but like with 50% off sales and 70% off sales. April's 30 days, FYI. Thanks for the correction. <laughs> Fine. Only 30 days of marketing. Thank God that it's not 31 days. Because that really would have put us over <laughs> the extra edge. Day. Listen, I
1: am all for celebrating the planet, but as you and I have talked about ad nauseum, make turning it into an opportunity to to buy your way to sustainability just doesn't make a lot of sense if there's no meaningful action behind it. So now I just sort of roll my eyes because this month has just become an opportunity for every brand to set a goal that no one ever holds them accountable for that we'll all forget about by 2030. And then they'll just have to reset that goal because they won't have achieved it. I know I'm being really jaded, but
0: (laughs) yeah, except I feel like we brace ourselves for Earth Month. Although this is the first time it's felt like Earth Month, not just Earth Day. Like it felt like there was like an entire runway of just sales and Zoom events and big brands being like, we're carbon negative. In fact, I have to give My friend over at Maud, she said that she got 72 emails on Earth Day from brands touting that they were carbon negative or carbon neutral. I think probably carbon neutral, which I thought was just like, of course.
1: I mean, and also, what does that even mean? And how are they measuring it? How do we even know if that's true? It's just, it drives me insane. Although maybe celebrating Earth Month is like incrementally closer to actually just thinking about the planet all year round. I don't know silver lining. Now we're doing it more than a day, but we're still creating sales around it, which doesn't make a lot of sense, because what does that actually move the needle on?
0: I'm Erin Alweiss. And I'm Melody Serafino. And we're the co-founders of Number 29, an agency that focuses on sustainability, design, and advancing social change. This is the Enough Podcast.
1: We're here because we know we have more than enough food to feed everyone. And we've had enough of
0: hunger. I wanna talk about April. Uh, not to jump into consumption, but like a brand that's actually spending 365 days out of the year. There are 365 days, right, Maladie? Yes, are are I you going to correct me? confirm that. <laughs> so one brand that's spending 365 days addressing the problem of hunger, and that's our next guest, Lauren Bush. Lauren, who has made it her mission for well over a decade to make feeding people around the world and educating people about the problem of hunger her absolute mission. And she's done it so creatively. And she's just someone who's been incredibly inspiring to me over the many years that we've had our own business.
1: Yeah. And you and I have talked about this before, but just remembering that red carpet moment when she had her feed bag, which now a lot of people are familiar with that. But finding a way to turn fashion into a cause and to say to make a statement, I think is just such a cool thing and she's been doing it for a really long time.
0: I also just have to say as like a nerdy environmentalist who also loved fashion, she was one of the first people who brought the two together. I just remember her looking so fabulous on that red carpet with her now husband, David Lauren, and with a giant bag that said feed. In my head it was giant, but it might have just been giant feed letters. But she looked like the ultimate chic and I just think it's so innovative where she's managed to pair design fashion and a social issue and dig deep into that not just be surface level this is someone who takes her mission so seriously and has built an entire brand around it and I'm I'm just excited for people to hear her I remember... I was working in Washington on the Hill, and I was like, who is this cool chick showing up on the Met Gala red carpet wearing a bag that says feed? Like, you, it actually did reach me only because I thought it was so innovative, and I'd worked for so many organizations where I'm like, ugh, we're just doing the same thing over and over, reaching the same people, but how do you reach people who wouldn't otherwise automatically care about this?
2: Oh, thanks, Aaron.
0: You know, before we get into it, for people who don't know you, can you tell me who you are and what you do?
2: Uh, my name is Lauren Bush. Lauren, I'm the CEO and founder of Feed, and Feed is an impact-driven lifestyle brand, a social business with a mission to um, basically create good products, and with that, through sales, raise money and awareness uh, to help in childhood hunger.
0: And I'm I'm so curious what it is that brought you to the topic of childhood hunger. I mean, how did this become ultimately both your life's passion and then your life's work and company?
2: The journey started even well before founding Feed, which was in 2007. Um, when I was in college still, I had the opportunity to travel with the UN World Food Program. And through that experience, just exposed globally to the, you know, various issues and, and realities of people living, you know, essentially in hunger every day. Um, and through that kind of firsthand travel and experience, obviously wanted to, to do something. Like it's hard to go and see, see that reality um, and not want to make a change and want to help those, you know, communities and families and especially children you meet. I mean, you know, children, even in our own country, just because of where you're born into what situation could be born into life for your next meal isn't a guarantee. And that to me was just Um, you know, something you hear and maybe know intellectually, but then the going and engaging and seeing firsthand was what really set me on my path to wanting to to be part of the solution. And and what I saw happening on the hopeful note um, around the world, and it's, you know, what we're able to do here in America was school feeding. So kids, you know, go to, who can't afford it necessarily can still go to school and with that are able to receive a free and nutritious meal sometimes meals. And that's often the reason kids go to school in the first place or stay in school longer. Um, So it's not only, it's like twofold, not only, you know, guaranteeing them that meal a day and that nutrition, you know, that everyone needs, especially kids need to grow and develop properly,
0: but also encouraging education. It's, it's really interesting to hear you talk about it. You're clearly so passionate. And I'm wondering where this fire comes from. Was there a moment, you know, like I, I joke with Melody that there's like for every environmentalist, like we knew when we became an environmentalist or like we just knew it. Like, did you always have this fire in you to do something for the world, to make it better? Is it something that you grew into?
2: Yeah, I do think I always, you know, For one, I feel lucky to have been born into the family I was born into, in the sense that public service, you know, whether it was politics or whether it was getting involved in other ways, like my mom, for example, when I was little, started a a charity called Caritas to help homeless and abused children. Um, My dad was, you know, always very active with like local organizations, and we'd always go volunteer so, it just was part of like my family culture and conversation around the dinner table. So, I think that clearly had an impact um, in terms of, you know, my framing of like what it means to do good in the world and be part of the solution and get involved. That was always kind of expected in a way. It, it you know, it was up to us to figure out how to do that and what what path and what cause or
0: what issue we really wanted to dig in on. And, and uh, it started with one bag, right? Is that, that was the model for it? Yeah, one bag. I had concepted
2: the first bag in college even. So in graduating college, I had the first bag prototype um, and hoped it would become what it you know has and could become. So for me in designing the first feed bag, it was like let's just put this
0: out there and see if it resonates with other customers like me who really do want to do good and I mean you put it straight on the bag it says feed in all caps I mean just big letters and you know exactly that you're talking about hunger and it's been really interesting to me because we in the last year this has come up with someone we work with named Sophia Rowe who actually talks about being in the foster system and having experienced hunger and she's like why do we keep calling it food insecurity? It's just so sanitizing of an experience that's so visceral and it is hunger. And I think it is, you know, what you're doing, put like feed on there and just having this conversation, it welcomes it. Because then I'm sure when you wore the bag, people would ask questions. What is this? And it automatically opens a conversation.
2: Yeah, it really is meant to be exactly twofold, like, a you know, fundraiser, but, but certainly an awareness raiser. And it is kind of a billboard for that conversation. And most of our products still to date have the massive feed branding. Like even in a day and age where more minimal branding is cool, you know, our customers, our community really gravitate towards like wearing it loud and proud and as they should. Um, and it says feed, you know, a lot of our bags say feed the children of the world. So you, and then the number also being quite visible and prominent. And um, exactly, I think it's, you know, dollars raised, but also certainly that awareness raised. And most importantly, like allowing people to feel empowered to actually make a difference in an issue like hunger, knowing exactly, again, how many lives they're impacting, how many meals they're able to give.
0: And it's amazing. I I love that the first thing on your website, you see how many meals have been served and it's 119 million or so to date. (laughs) Is that just astonishing when you look at that? Do you feel a sense of pride? Like we've come so far. Is it just like, that's great. I'm frustrated. We still need to keep going. There's so much more to do. It's
2: more the latter. Um, Obviously so proud and and more proud just that people have rallied behind Feed in this way. And still, you know, one of the greatest joys is like seeing a stranger carrying a feed bag down the street. And yeah, just, you know, feeling that camaraderie in the community around what we're trying to do is is so, so gratifying. Um, But obviously, the numbers are still extremely daunting. And especially now with COVID and just global uncertainty as it is, like the issue of hunger, which was improving vastly around the world and in the U.S., has taken a real turn for the worst and so many families you know here in our backyard who never ever had a lineup uh to get food from a food bank or food pantry have found themselves in a situation where they really are relying on that um safety net so it if anything is reinforced
0: yeah just the need for for feed but also really for our great giving partners who are able to support well, it's gonna ask how this year has been for Feed. I mean, part of this with our podcast, the whole idea of enough is that it's what we've had enough of. Obviously, we've had enough of hunger. We should have had enough a long time ago. I know you have, but it's not just about sort of looking back on you know what we are tired of or or just sort of um, wallowing in that. So much as celebrating the people who are solving it, which is you. I mean, you've seen this challenge. You created a design oriented business. You have educated so many people and fed millions of people. And how has this year affected the business and your work and your team? Like, what has it been like getting through this? And, and what do you see the future as being in terms of the work around hunger?
2: Oh, it's such a good question, because it's such an ever-evolving situation. Um, no, today it feels, I mean, it feels good. I think my team, I'm so proud of them for stepping up and working differently, obviously, the last two year, year Um, working remotely and just on the cause front. Yeah. Feeling all the more of a sense of urgency to support where we can and how we can, um, to be part of that solution and part of that awareness raising and fundraising for our giving partners, um, who, yeah, really do, you know, rely on us and other partners to step up, especially in these moments. So for me personally, you know, 14 years into feed, it's been, um, you know, I feel just all the more inspired and, you know, a sense of urgency around helping and being a part of that solution. Um, so if anything, and I think we've we've seen that play out too with our customers and with our community and with sales. Um, I do think, you know, already people were tending, I feel like let's call it, I don't know, five, 10 years ago was the beginning of like conscious consumerism which then, let's say, three years ago became activism-consumerism. And now it's almost like this hyper-activism-consumerism, which is cool because, you know, people are being really a lot more conscious for the environment, um, but also just social issues and where companies fall. And no longer can companies kind of sit on the sidelines and pretend to be neutral. Like, companies more than ever are in the fray of saying, you know, and being held accountable for, who they are, how they treat their employees, how they treat the world, what values they stand for. Um, So things already that, you know, I think feed was founded around are now kind of standards that all companies are, you know, needing to at least pay attention to and address and really take a hard look at. Um, So it's just, it's been cool to kind of witness that evolution over the time of doing feed. And I think feed is really primed to be um, yeah, really relevant and, and hopefully a a player for good, um, in the next, you know, chapter of whatever this conscious activism type consumerism as it continues to evolve.
0: I think undoubtedly and also you clearly get so much joy in the design work and the the entrepreneurial side of things. I often, in talking to some of the activists we've had on or just people in my life, it's just like, why do activists always have to be portrayed as being always like so sad or like things are so hard? Like we also do find joy in what we do. And I think with Feed, again, it's part of what is built into the DNA of the brand, which is creating something beautiful to drive positive change again, like that wasn't, what was the response at the time? I'm so interested to hear where people were like, this is weird. What are you doing? Or did everyone immediately think it was cool? Yeah. People
2: kind of thought we were a charity, maybe still do think we're a charity um, or a nonprofit. Think we should like talk to the CSR department, not the like CEO and CMO, you know, like we still come up against some of that occasionally. I think now it's the more and more companies like Feed exist, which they do now, thank God, You know, the more I think understood our model is for other partner brands and people we wanna do business with, but also for consumers. Um, so that certainly made you know, my job easier, Feed's job easier because we're not constantly explaining, no, 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 we're a for-profit, but we give a lot of profits away, we're charitable you know, for-profit company, like all that kind of language is more or less understood
0: now. So I think that's been one of the big positive changes Well, I'm also excited for your space to open again in Dumbo just to go into a physical space and then to also re-engage with conversations around this. But I mean, we will be on the other side of this pandemic in whatever form that looks like. And I suppose I'm wondering if there are any lessons from the past year that that can be taken into the future when our lives aren't so dominated by the pandemic in terms of, you know, what we should be aware of with hunger. Because I do think like we're not going to forget the lines that we saw to line up for food banks or in parking lots but like is there anything that you would just want people to take with them to remember
2: i think just how easily that can happen you know i think a lot of us Mm. pre this moment would never have dreamed of this moment and then also yeah maybe kind of lived with a certain arrogance that not in our country and this did happen this is happening in our country and so many people are out of work and, um, yeah, leading to so many families being food insecure and really, you know, as, at the human level, empathizing with what that means. And, you know, as a mom now too, like, oh my gosh, if I couldn't, you know, give my kids what I knew they needed health-wise and food-wise, like, that's just heartbreaking. And so many families live in that live in that constant state. Um, so, yeah, I think there's just a real need to kind of look at the overall systems that have made that the case and accepted and kind of the complacency of all of us that have, um, again, just said that's like there's always been hunger and that's just the way it is because it, it doesn't have to be.
0: Yeah, I love that. I, I do hope there is an end to complacency, which can apply to so many things in, in terms of what we've all gone through and it's this like silent pandemic that we sort of just like expect hunger to always be a thing for certain people or that it it doesn't feel like there is that like anger and rage about it. But infrastructure if we're talking about like the human beings who make up our world, like we cannot function without food and being fed and tending to ourselves.
2: Well that's exactly right. I mean if you overlay a map around the world of where hunger really, you know, exists and persists and you overlay a map of where conflict exists they're pretty much the same. And you wonder, like, that's not surprising. Obviously, if you're living in a place or in a daily situation where you can't feed yourself or your family, you will be angry, you will radicalize, you will like do anything um, because that's human. Like that is just human. So to make sure at the very least people's basic needs are met is just in my opinion a given of you know being a human and living on this planet Um, so really yeah it's so important when the government can address it when you know businesses can address it nonprofits i mean definitely will take everyone but um i think yeah a lot of the right moves are on the table which i'm excited
0: about i want to end with something that i ask everyone which is duality of both like a joyful side of it and then also just like a stance but what have you had enough of and then when do you feel like you have enough like that you're just like fulfilled and good
2: great questions um well obviously I've had enough of hunger (laughs) existing persisting um and again I think for me it's like it's the lack of food and access to food but it's also the lack of the ability for people to like live up to their human god-given sort of human potential um especially kids and that's why we focus on childhood hunger specifically not that we shouldn't help families and adults in the ecosystem in which kids live obviously but um i don't know kids just should have that leg up and just a fighting chance to um grow into themselves and contribute and yeah be a part of of the world and in our community so there's that and what when do I feel like I have enough I feel like I have enough yeah when I'm with my family I mean this if this moment's reinforced anything for me it is just that you know stripping away um yeah a lot of friends and community and a lot which has definitely been hard but just being with my family is is definitely enough
0: what is the plan for Feed in the coming year? Like, do you have any, if you want to talk about, if there are any collaborations or an eye towards the store, if there's anything you want to speak to, because I'm really excited to see where Feed goes. It's been very cool to see you doing something with Ralph Lauren. And I think I read Sarah Jessica Parker, you're doing something.
2: Yeah. And a lot of, yeah, fun stuff. We, um, reopening the store in May, we decided to kind of shutter for winter and part of spring just to recalibrate a little bit. But, um, Excited for that to be up and going. It's in Dumbo, Brooklyn. For those who want to come check us out. Yeah. Um, no, just kind of continuing, you know, Try We actually a big push internally, which you would appreciate, especially has been around more sustainable sourcing. So, you know, while we do obviously give back significantly on the hunger front, but there's always been sort of a recognition and want to like make sure our products are made you know more sustainably more mindfully so we've done a lot of work in the last um i mean several years but especially last year in terms of who our suppliers are the dye houses we work with like literally down to the trim of like how to make things more sustainably so um i think by you know just incorporating like got certified organic cottons and swapping out a lot of materials so all that is coming is now, but also coming throughout the summer. And um, yeah, over half of our line, if not more, will be um, made with sustainable materials, which we're really, really proud of. Really,
0: yeah, proud of my team for, for that effort as well i i'm just truly impressed it's one of those things where you get to know someone but it's not like we sit down and have this kind of conversation all the time so to dig yeah, in totally
2: no yeah, such a the treat history Aaron. of the
0: company and i hope
2: it's no i'm such a fan of you and all you stand for personally and with
0: 29 Thank you. so i appreciate it always well, thanks so much of course
1: it's so interesting to hear her story and her inspiration for starting feed also i think that hunger was this issue that i just remember so vividly from us growing up every image of hunger was always some poor child in a faraway nation and never seemed like it was happening here in our own backyards and the truth is is Hunger is pervasive in the United States in a place where there's absolutely no excuse for anyone to go hungry, particularly since, as you know, Aaron, I'm such a nerd about this, but we produce enough food to feed everybody in the U.S. every year. We waste 35 percent of that food and then one in eight Americans still remains hungry. And obviously that number has gone up throughout COVID, we've seen the visuals of lines around the corner at food pantries and food getting thrown out on farms because it wasn't being sold to restaurants. So there's a disconnect happening, and I don't think we quite ever think it's happening here and to our people in our own country. Yeah,
0: and I think that there's such importance around the language we use that, you know, saying food insecurity, which somehow sanitizes the visceral experience of hunger. I mean, this is something that Sophia Rowe really brought to my attention and Lauren and I talked about, but that we need to call it hunger. That's what it is. It's not food insecurity or, you know, lack of access. It's just like, this is something that we can fix. And I... I also think it's so impressive that despite not having solved this and working for so long on it, Lauren remains optimistic, committed, and that she is both frustrated but also just inspired about inspired by what's been achieved and the potential to to dig even deeper in the years to come and and to resolve this. I mean, this feels like a
1: problem that is solvable within our lifetimes. There's no reason why we can't, and so I'm sure that that's helps to keep her going, knowing that you can create really meaningful change it's interesting that you talked about the language piece because I've noticed recently that food insecurity is sort of like the buzzword around hunger yeah and you're right it does sanitize it it also just it seems like it's a word that makes the rest of us comfortable because it doesn't say outright it has less power in it or something or it takes it takes the action or the onus off of what we need to do to solve it and makes it seem like it's like the par- problem of food itself, and that is not the issue here. It is a broken system that we need to rebuild. Um, so I- I- I'm i so curious about how that vernacular start- or how that-, that terminology started to creep into our vernacular because it's definitely something that I've noticed of late totally. that people are leaning into
0: Yeah, which clinician or academic is responsible for food insecurity as a term that it does like make people more comfortable with something for which we should be incredibly uncomfortable with, particularly since we have enough food. We have the ability to fix this. We know how to feed people. And it's a matter of so many different broken systems that ultimately lead to an experience everyone knows of being hungry, let alone like deep entrenched consistent hunger and what that causes. And I also just love Lauren's language around god given potential just cuz like, i it's such it's such different language from what i use but i think about it you're like Right, when you're hungry, especially when you're a child, you cannot learn, you cannot pay attention, let alone having your systems function, the ability to grow, the ability to play. Like it gets to the absolute fundamental roots of being a human being. And so, yeah, let's just call it hunger now. I wanna be done with food insecurity. So we, we should be part of at least solving that problem and not Yeah, I mean, ugh, let's just call it
1: what it is. And also, yeah, I think about the potential for particularly for children if they're not being fed three meals a day. I mean, I think about myself and if I go without lunch and how I can't function and then to think that there are people in this world that are going days without proper nutrition and, you know, not being able to function at their full capacity and how much we're losing out from people by not by them not being able to live lives in the way that they should be able to. I mean, it's just sort of baffling to me that this is even still a conversation.
0: Yeah, I I, I want to end on like a positive note here too where there's so many local solutions to this and I have been so inspired by a, by a friend of mine, Anjali Kosla, who's a journalist and also a professor at Parsons. And she goes and stocks and restocks her local community fridge. And I know um, which one she goes to. And I saw someone go in there and open it. It was fully stocked and they take they took food out of it. And just seeing that whole exchange, you realize like, we can be active participants in solving this in our own communities and also making a difference around the world and obviously Sophia Rowe is just such an advocate and activist around this and has her tv show counter space that has taught me so much um and so I just I wanted to share that because I, I feel like it's so hard to know what to do obviously apart from supporting feed but those are just two individuals who I wanted to recognize because it's awesome
1: Yeah, and as you know, Aaron, I'm on the board of New York Cares, which operates here in the city and is near and dear to my heart, and their biggest cause or issue that they were challenged by over the last year was hunger and getting people access to food, and it really dominated so much of their time and the time of their volunteers, but for those who are in New York City and looking for a way to volunteer within their communities to address our hunger crisis, check out New York Cares because you can can go on, do an online orientation, and actually be out in your community helping to get people the food that they need to survive.
0: Thanks for listening to Enough. As always, you can find links to Feed, Number 29, and the Enough newsletter in our show notes. Enough is a podcast from Number 29 and Pineapple Street Studios. It's produced by Erin Kelly. Pineapple's executive producers are Max Linsky and Jenna weiss Original composition by Hannes Brown.